Hello, welcome to the Thanksgivings special episode of the Thinklings podcast. The first hour and about eight minutes of this podcast is dedicated to listener emails because we're so thankful for you as you listen and you write in. We wanted to answer every one of those. So there is literally an hour and eight minutes of introduction. It's worth listening to. There's some great questions, some great commentary, some great thoughts there. However, if you just want to jump to the beginning of this episode proper, you can scroll right on over to one hour and eight minutes, and it should be right in that zone for you. Thanks for listening to the Thinklings podcast. Welcome to the Thanksgivings special of the Thinklings podcast. (laughs) It is Thanksgiving time. You'll probably be listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday before the big turkey day. And we are going to have some special things in this episode. But before we get into that, let's just pitch it around the table. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready for some turkey. I, I love, one of my favorite things about Thanksgiving is obviously being with all your family. But then secondly, turkey coma naps, where you've eaten so much turkey that you go into like a coma and you have this really great nap. It's one of my favorite things. Okay, I saw something interesting on <laughs> Facebook the other day. If you go to your Thanksgiving dinner, you have, you have to choose one of the options. You can have only turkey only turkey mm. or every side dish what are you picking every oh, side dish totally that's so hard. every side it's dish it's like the best turkey you've ever had though it's like Ooh. juicy moist see, awesome turkey see i'm a big and turkey. it's going to put you into that awesome coma like yeah. would you pick that with oh, the expense hard. of all the side dishes that's so hard cuz okay i love turkey like i like it when there's lots of leftover turkey you make like turkey shredded sandwiches mm. but i yeah see you and me charlie right there tim oh, was over here rolling his eyes but I, I really like my wife makes some amazing stuffing with italian sausage in it and cornbread sometimes in the sauce in the stuffing ah. cornbread stuffing is hard to beat and mashed it potatoes it mashed is. potatoes so i'm gonna say that since i'm expecting in my situation the cornbread stuffing would have sausage. I'm going to say no to the turkey, hoping there's leftovers. But if there's no leftovers, I think I, I don't know. Yeah. I, Hard to say. I think though. It's like, do you want food or water? Like, it's like which one? The, this, the, I just want pie. Oh. Pie, pie is a dessert. It's not a side dish. Oh, so you can have turkey well, and the pie. You could have turkey and, but we, it's, it's ooh, all, ooh. The, it's like the main meal mm. side dishes. Ooh, that might change it though, because okay, then I can have my protein and my carbs. Oh, brother! My sugar. I mean, if you if you were going to take pie away, so, I would do side dishes just to have the pie. But pie's dessert. That's a whole other. So what, kind, categorical of pie, what issue. kind of pie are we talking here? I think I think you you have to have pumpkin. Like okay. that is the pie okay. to have. Oh yeah, everybody brings a pumpkin and then nobody eats it. Are you kidding? Are you what is wrong have you with guys, you? Have you guys ever had? Does this he was, have a soul? This was on my mom's side. The Randolph uh, Randolph Thanksgivings and Christmases. We would have mincemeat pie. Never had one of those. I've heard of them. Have you ever? Yeah, it's... Like, what is it? It's minced meat. It's literally, that's all it is. That sounds wonderful. Is it a pot pie? No, it's minced meat. It's... um, It's not very pie-y. It's very mincey, meaty. Okay, that sounds like wonderful. Save your judgments until you've tried it. Oh, it's not that good. Oh, oh, you! I've like all this meat in a pie. My mom, my mom makes the best pie I've ever had: strawberry rhubarb, pecan, Ooh. pumpkin. It's amazing. Apple see, praline. Look, now, now Tim's all excited. You see that? Uh, I like more of like a banana cream or a French silk. Oh, I love banana cream. This is Thanksgiving, anyway, Tim. There's not a pie what, that what I really don't like. What kind of pie do you like. eat at Thanksgiving? 
banana cream? Yeah. At Thanksgiving? Yeah. What are you, like a tropical Thanksgiving? Okay. Are you like in Hawaii? I or? had an aunt that made a dessert. Aunt Linda, I don't know if she'd ever listen to this. Aunt Linda always used to make, it was this like banana creamy vanilla wafer dessert. Oh, it was like vanilla wafer crackers with like pudding and bananas in it. And that was like my jam. Like I didn't care about anything else at those. Wow. And that was on my dad's side. I didn't care about anything else other than that dessert. Huh. I would eat plates of that dessert. And that is why I am a pleasantly full figured man this day. <laughs> I, okay, I've never had those tropical desserts. I, I'm, I maybe we should include those next this this year in our family rotation. You know? So what are we doing today? Talking what are about we Thanksgiving doing food. We are talking about Thanksgiving. We we're gonna have a, just a normal episode where we talk about like a main idea, which is gonna be the giving of thanks. How that is a decidedly Christian virtue. That's gonna be later in the episode. We want to do now is we actually want to say how thankful we are to our listeners. And you hear at the end of every episode that if you have any suggestions or comments, you can email them to thanklingspodcast at gmail.com. And we have yet to interact with any of our listener feedback. So we are going to open this Thanksgiving special by looking at every listener email that has been sent in. And some of them, we're just going to say, hey, thank you. But some of them have some pretty decent questions that I think are worthy to discuss. And so we're going to walk through all of those right now. So let's jump to email numero uno. This is from Pastor Thor Williams. Thor is actually a former classmate of mine here at Faith. This is what Thor says. Hello, I just listened to episode 001 of your podcast. I enjoyed it so much. It was encouraging and I look forward to hearing more from you guys in the future. If the Lord tarries, just uh, writing in to say thank you to us. And uh, he is a pastor in Newport News, Virginia, serving at um, this church's name that I will not be able to pronounce correctly. I think it's Denby Baptist Church. Let's go with Denby. Denby. He's the student's ministry pastor. So Thor, great job serving the Lord in Virginia. And we're super excited that you're listening to the podcast. We're going to do something unique with, these, uh, with your responses here today. If you've listened through up to this point, We've developed this idea called the Thinkling's Goodness Scale, where based on our criteria of goodness, we've ranked and uh, decided like how good we think a book is, and it's a one to ten. And it, anything on the scale is good, but a one is little good, a ten is mucho good. And so here's what we're gonna do, I'm gonna, Thor. I'm gonna put you on the goodness scale, and you oh, know man. what, Thor, because you listen to our podcast and you email in. I think you're a 10 on the Thinkling's goodness scale. I'm going to agree with you. Way to go, Thor. Way to be a 10. He's, to... he's the first 10 on our Man. Thinkling's goodness scale. Was he the first one that emailed us in? He was the very first. Wow. And I believe it was after episode one or two. It was, it was really early he read, wrote in. And uh, I lived in the dorm with Thor way back in the day. Those are wow. the glory years. You know, as we uh, have students, we get to know them, and then they leave us. We kind of often lose, lose touch. So if you're one of those, and you're like, man, I haven't been back to faith in five, ten years, send us a message. We'd love to hear where you're at and how the Lord's uh, using you. Yeah. I remember having Thor in class. Hey, Thor, good to hear you, or good to hear from you again. But yeah, no, it's really nice to, to see like what you're doing. So right in. Do I it. can remember the moment I met him. And I'm like, hi, my name's Charlie. And he's like, hi, my name's Thor. And I'm like, oh, 
this guy's awesome. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You knew then he was a 10. I knew then he was a we 10. We didn't even know about the goodness scale. <laughs> okay, let's move on. And I'm going to, this next email, I'm actually going to have uh, Andy for go ahead and read this one. Okay. I'm not I'm not 100% sure who it's from, <laughs> but Andy, do you do you recognize uh, yes. this this particular email? I, yes, this is this is my mother. Andy's mom yeah, that's, has that's emailed mom. in. And Do you uh, want me to read this one? I would love oh. for you to read this response. This is one of my favorites. Thank Mom, I just want to say right now, thank you. I appreciate you emailing the three of us and saying this. I still think that Charlie guy is the best. And then giving Charlie two thumbs up. Thank you, Mother. I Double thumb that. up emojis. I think that means that you're my mom's favorite at this podcast. Probably. Thanks a lot, Mom. And I have, on, I have on pretty decent authority that I'm also my mom's favorite on this podcast. She's also a listener, but <laughs> she is not emailed in, but I'm pretty sure I'm her favorite as well. Man. Uh, Tim, does your mom listen to the <laughs> Thinklings podcast? I don't know. <laughs> you need to get her on board, okay? We've, this, we need Tim's mom to be listening. But she to has to think you are the best. Otherwise, Charlie's going to have three out of three moms at this table, and that is a problem, people. That's okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, come on. Yikes. Well, I'm going to say, Mom, even though you wrote in and you said that Charlie is the best... You still listen to the best podcast in the world. And so on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale, Mom, you're a 10. Another 10 on the Goodness Scale. Aww. That's some serious bragging rights to say I'm a 10 on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale. That That's going to mean something, uh, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now. So anyway, maybe an extra crown. I don't know. Oh anyway. <laughs> okay. I need your help on the next one too, Andy, because I don't want to mispronounce uh, Jared's last name. Laux. Jared Laux. And Jared was featured in a Facebook video that we made. We He came and visited us on campus, and he got an awesome Thinklings mug, which, uh, Tim, do you know where I could find a Thinklings mug? Man, I think the Faith Bookstore has a few. Yeah, and you know, if you don't live in the Ankeny area, I think you can actually access that online, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we can ship you one as well. Oh, man, it just... What a servant. Tim is just a servant over there in the bookstore. <laughs> Drink good coffee, read good books. <laughs> Talk about them with your friends. <laughs> Man, that sounds familiar. I don't think that's our slogan, but it's close. But so Jared mentioned that he enjoyed our podcast, and then he sent us a video of him pouring beautifully brewed coffee into a Thinkling's mug. And so, Jared, we're super thankful for you. And uh, Tim, why don't you take a stab? If you had to place... Jared on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale, what do you think you'd be? Man, Jared, you would be a Hold 10. On. Oh, okay. He'd be a 10. I was going to say, mean, before he, you say that, though, I've had the best cup of coffee, one of the best in my life. So I was going to make sure that was figured into your equation, but you already hit 10, so we're okay. I, he, you know, he listens to the Thinkling's podcast, and he sends us in comments and even made a video. Man, he's definitely a 10. I agree. Okay, this next email is from Riley Peak. He says, greetings and salutations. My name is Riley Peak. I live in the distant lands of Cleveland, Tennessee. My wife, Kimberly Peak, formerly a stall cup, introduced me to your podcast. I just wanted to write to let you know that I have thoroughly enjoyed every episode and I'm always excited to listen in on the next thir- thoughtful installment. I find the content of your discussions and your passion for thoughtful study to be very refreshing. And uh, I really like that last sentence because uh, I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but before we were recording these discussions, we would get together and do this because it was refreshing to us. And there's yep. something to be said about that community and that camaraderie with the word and, and, 
and thinking at a high level together. And so, Riley, we're super glad that you and your wife have enjoyed the podcast all the way down there in the mountains of Tennessee. I don't know if they're in the mountains, so I'm just picturing Blue Ridge Mountains down there in Tennessee. We're super excited that you're enjoying the podcast. We're super thankful that you're listening. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to gonna make a bold statement here. I think both of you are solid tens on the Thinkling's goodness scale. Any uh, any discussion on the on the rating? I think that's a very good rating. Uh, that's all I got. I mean, it's it is. I'm just I'm seeing the last name Peak, and I'm thinking top of a mountain, but it's in Tennessee, and so. Well, we better not start talking about the stall cups because that'll get us down a road we might never yeah. come back from. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. okay, we love them all. We're just joking. Okay, the next one here is Amy Zobel. I think I'm saying that correctly. And Amy heard about our podcast up at the ladies' retreat, the women's retreat, that Andy was speaking at. And Tim's mother-in-law gave an awesome promo for us up there. Just one. Just one awesome promo for us. Oh, my word. And uh, so Amy wrote in after she heard about it at the retreat, and she listened in. And uh, it was she shared a lot of great um, thankfulness to us for some different episodes that we'd had. And uh, Amy, we're super glad that you're listening in and that you're enjoying it. Uh, Stearns, would you like to uh, place this listener on our goodness scale? Oh, it's it's got to be a ten. A it's solid be a 10. ten. And I mean, I think even her. If, if I'm thinking the right Zobel here, I, I know one of her sons who was here, and I mean, that's that's, that's even making it a stronger argument Wait. for a ten. So, Jonathan. Yeah, I think oh, this is John Zobel's Wow, mom. that that connects some dots for yeah. me. Okay, if that's true, <laughs> I hope that, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I just looked up on Facebook and oh. she's got a picture with. If we if John we are Zobel. if we are right, that's there cool. Is, hold on, there's another Amy Zobel. There's multiple Amy Zobel. Well, whoever, so, whichever Amy Zobel you are, this out you are a ten. You know, yeah. if the other Amy Zobel, if both Amys listen to this podcast, they're both tens. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, but only one of them can be a ten because only one of them wrote in. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. That's valid. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so uh, now we're gonna. There's like, there's that category of emails that we're kind of just like, hey, we're we're enjoying the podcast. Then we're kind of getting into uh, another discussion here where there's been a number of emails and Facebook messages and even just like personal personal interaction where people have asked about the books that we've put on the podcast wondering if we were going to compile them. And so there's a theme, there's a handful of guys that are wondering about these books li- book lists. Uh, Isaiah Peterson, Daniel Greenhall, Seth Bishop, Steve Cox, Jill Blunk, uh, all of you have written in, and we'll, we'll come to some, some specifics in your emails too, but you all are wondering, is there going to be a reading list or a book list that is created? And the answer to that question is, yes, there will be. Uh, first, our Christmas episode, which will be in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about a lot, not a lot, every book that we've mentioned in our books and business segment, every one of them. And then we're going to make some other Christmas gift book uh, suggestions. And that list will be available. I think we're going to put it on the website. We're going to have a page that lists all of those books and maybe even puts our Thinkling's Goodness score with them. And so you would be able to say like, oh, here's all the ones, here's all the twos, here's all the threes, et cetera. So yes, there will be some book lists coming. So stay tuned for that. We might even have something down the road we're going to call the Thinkling Starter Pack, which would be like a reading list. Like uh, we all kind of have different fields of expertise. uh, And so we might pick some titles that we really enjoy in our particular 
uh, field of interest and then kind of put those together as like, hey, here's like some three or four books you could start with. But stay tuned for those. But in a couple of weeks, there will be an episode, the Christmas special, where we talk about tons and tons of books. Uh, you guys want to throw anything in there about the the book list questions? I just, um, the, I do manage the Faith Bookstore. And so just a quick shameless plug. Usually whatever books that we are highlighting for the week, if we have them in stock, which we usually do, uh, we put them on like a 25% sale, not uh, just in the bookstore. So if you live in the area, you could stop in after hearing about a, a book and uh, pick it up. Stearns, any comment there? Okay, let's just keep going. Now, nestled in some of these emails about book lists, there are some other good nuggets that I want to talk about. So first, back to Isaiah Peterson. I recently started listening to your podcast. I'm struggling sometimes to find the books you talk about. Are there show notes that at least name, perhaps link to the books you talk about? That's a great question. Want to comment on that? There are show notes. Now, if you can believe it, none of us are professional podcasters. What? We just decided to buy some microphones and like grip and rip. Let's do this. <laughs> and so as we've done that, we've gotten a little more skilled in how things are posted and how they're presented. And when we say we, we mean Charlie. Well, Yes, we mean Charlie. <laughs> when we go to post them, we have gotten better at this. And so if you look at those posts, the show notes are not all in the exact same location. But I think it's after like episode six or seven. Every one of them does have show notes, and it says what's being talked about at certain moments in the podcast. And what I notice is there's one particular podcasting app that kind of uses this resource really well, and it's the Google Podcast app. And if you go into the Google Podcast app, it like, kind of hyperlinks those times. And so I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to open my phone up right now, and I'm just going to pull up an episode and just talk right through it. So I'm pulling up Google Podcast app. And I'm going to episode 14. I don't know how if that was a couple weeks ago. And huh, actually, <laughs> that, that was, was the one you didn't do. <laughs> that was the week. Shocker. I had COVID listeners and uh, I didn't oh, yeah, really want to focus no on a screen notes. that week. What so, are the yeah. chances that you randomly picked <laughs> that one? So I'm in episode 13. You're and good at this. This is the Google Podcast episode, or this is episode 13 in Google Podcast app. And it says at uh, 038, there's books in business. At 058, Tim Little talked about archaeology in the Old Testament. So the title's there. It's by Alfred Hirth, and the author's usually there. And if you just want to jump to that portion of the podcast, you can just click right on it. And there it is. There's Tim Little. I don't know if you can hear that. But that's I think the Google Podcast app does that really well. But those show notes should show up in all the other ones, but they're just not hyperlinked. The Google the Google Podcast app, I used to, I'm, I'm like an Apple guy. We're pretty much all Apple users here. We all have iPhones, and I've used the Apple Podcast app for a long time. Before that, I used Stitcher. I really liked Stitcher, but I, I switched back to Apple. But the Google app is quick to post, quicker than the, the Apple one. Like, we'll post it, and it'll be up faster. And I find it to be easier to use. So I've really, really, I like the, the clean layout of it. It's been a pretty good use, usability option. Awesome. And then Isaiah also said, P.S., maybe you could include a segment where you read a listener comment and interact with it. Well, hey, guess what? We're doing that right now. Okay, let's move on. There's another one here. Hang on. Oh. Isaiah, Yeshayahu, good oh, Hebrew oh, oh, name. Oh, oh. I almost, I he almost. definitely gets to be a 10 on the Thinkling's Goodness scale. I actually remember, I think, the first time I ever went to your Hebrew reading, Isaiah was there. Yeah, he was a regular tender before he went to Peru. Yes, he is in Peru. That's awesome. Yep. So I almost jumped the gun. Isaiah is a 10. I'm thinking it's going to scale. 
So then we're going to come back to Daniel Greenhall, who wrote in. He was asking about books too, but he has a question about those books. He says, could you three discuss sometime how we should think about children's books? For example, how picky should parents be when reading books to children of different ages? I agree and find it helpful to read books that I don't completely agree with sometimes, but what about books I read to my one-year-old or five-year-old or 15-year-old? Of course, no book outside of scripture is 100% theologically sound in all aspects, so how should parents approach picking books to give to or read to their children at varying ages? And I think that there was another one about uh, children's books recommendations too. Jill Blunk. Uh, Yeah, Jill Blunk also asked about uh, there are many books out there that if you could give a quick recommendation here and there, in addition to the wonderful job you're doing in reviewing your current reads, maybe a book you read to your children or title your wives are reading. So there's a children's question there, and then there's also a wives answer a question there. So let's just jump in on both of those. I'm not a parent or a husband, so I'm just going to bounce this right to the other side of the table. So how do you guys think through material for your kids? And then would you have any input on what your wives are reading? This is really a wisdom issue. You have to gauge your child's uh, reading comprehension, their level of discernment, and then choosing resources that uh, fit that child's um, biblical foundation. And uh, so even as I think through some of my children, some um, are very clearly uh, walking with the Lord. I can see the work of the Spirit in their lives, and so they have a greater level of discernment. Others, not so much. So that's going to be a contributing factor as well. So um, this question is a great question, Daniel, but it's something that's a real a wisdom issue. Uh, as far as books that I would recommend uh, for, for my children when they were younger, The Beginner's Bible. It's, uh, it doesn't, I think it's just published by Zondervan. It's really cartoonish, a little kids-ish. Okay, when my child, when my son was one, I would read it to him. It's really nice because you can just go to like a David and Goliath story and, and they can just learn these little stories in the, in the Bible. Um, just abbreviated, a sentence or two per page, very simple. Uh, so that's one resource that I have uh, recommended through the years. And then as a the child does grow older, I was noticing even, I noticed even last night, my seven-year-old whose reading is not very good, but he can read that book. So he was reading the Beginner's Bible. Uh, we trashed our first copy, which by the way, just don't give, your kids are just going to trash whatever you get, Okay. It's just they're not going to survive. I think there's pieces of Prince Caspian littered all over our house. (laughs) My son, yeah. Anyway, uh, so don't plan on your books enduring very well. And I mean, I like nice books. I really do. I like really nice books. But um, for your younger children, uh, yeah, anyway. My 10-year-old and 12-year-old have started to like nice books as well. And so they take care of them better. But the younger ones just destroy them. All right, so now on to other books. So as your children get older, so seven, eight, nine, they're starting to read chapter books. Uh, so my children have read like The Imagination Station. These are shorter chapter books. And then um, bigger chapter books like The Wing Feather Saga, excellent series. Uh, Green Ember, I like N.D. Wilson as an author. Uh, he does not have problems with magic. So if you do have problems with magic, you're not going to want to um, get his titles. But he has the 100 Covers series and the Ashtown Burials series. I thought those were good. All of these books really promote courage and self-sacrifice uh, and love 
for one's family and love for others at the at personal danger and personal loss. So uh, these are just good themes for children. Uh, I mean, you know, children struggle with selfishness a lot. So these are good themes for children to be bombarded with through um, good, good fiction. I would say we have a, when we were teaching our son to read, the curriculum we used was like teach your kid to read in 100 lessons. It was really, I was very amazed by how it worked. But then after that, it had a list of books, and this is just a secular um, curriculum, but it had a list of books that you could read that would be on the child's reading level with only like 10 words to learn so you could read that book. So just from like an actual learning to read standpoint, there are tools out there that will help you ramp up slowly. So I think um, Tum Tum and Nutmeg is like this chapter book story about these mice, and it's, it's that on their level, and they think it's funny, okay? But but the that leads into my second thought is, I think reading with your children is good, it, and, and then you're right there with them. You can talk about what you're reading, and then they develop the habit of liking to read. So when my son was little, he would come downstairs, and we'd do Bible reading in the chair, and, and it didn't matter. We'd just read through it, and he would ask lots of questions, so it was very slow-moving. But he enjoyed the reading with dad aspect. Now mom reads every day, and both the kids, they just delight in that. And I have noticed that my son now, if he's bored, sometimes he goes and plays with his Legos, sometimes he goes and plays with this, but sometimes he'll grab one of his books he got from the library and sit down and read. And I think that's a good way to instill the habit of reading, which as a believer and as a Christian, we should value reading because the Bible's written and that's thinking and that's... But at the same time, being involved. So I would say, like, we, we, we're... We haven't started on The Green Ember yet. I love that series, by the way. I think it's great because I don't think he's where he'll catch it yet. One of our friends said, you want to wait till this, the kid is old enough to catch the story. Like, didn't you read? You said you were reading something that was over your kids. Yeah. So we were reading through the Wingfeather saga. So I have a 12-year-old and a 5-year-old. And the 5-year-old was not catching it. Okay. And when we say catching it, you know... The purpose of reading to your children, which, by the way, I strongly agree uh, with Stearns here. You need to read to your children, and that's going to encourage them to then read. But the um, with the Wingfeather Saga, the five-year-old was not imagining it, okay? So if they can't imagine the story, if they can't put it in their mind, they can't follow the story, then they just are a distraction to others. And so my five- and seven-year-old were messing around all the time. Yep. I think that's – I don't think I have much more to – oh, read uh... – one more. So, and this is less about what books to read, but it is, I heard this tip. Uh, my wife was reading some curriculum books on like theories of education, not just like what's the way to educate that sort of thing. Just, it's really cool stuff. But one of the tips she found that was very helpful was you should read above your reading level and read below your reading level. And when you read below your reading level, I think sometimes on our podcast, even we promote like pushing yourself, read till your brain creaks. But actually, if you read under your reading level, it's kind of like, if you're an athlete, you go to the gym and you work really, really hard one day, but then the next day to recover, you go for a nice, long, relaxing walk. And that walk is easy, but it's actually very healthy. Reading is similar. So even for your kids, like if they're reading below, that's okay, but then pushing them is okay too. So I just have one uh, last thought as well. Like Daniel was talking about, what about like um, books that you know there's error in them? And I'm going to just use an illustration uh, from a recording Patch the Pirate, Majesty Music produces a Patch the Pirate adventure every single year. And uh, this year's is Mystery Island, and it's on the Kingdom of God, which when I saw that, I was like, 
Oh boy, because there's a lot of debate over what the kingdom of God is. And uh, sure enough, there's some inaugurated eschatology in it at a minimum and um, some bad exegesis in it as well. And so there's error. Now, are my kids going to pick up on that? No, they're not going to pick up on that. Could they be influenced by it? Yes, they could be influenced by it. Uh, I will see it as an opportunity to instruct them in the future, and it's going to make that adventure not my favorite. Will we not listen to it? I'll still let them listen to it on occasion, but it's not going to be one that I'm going to have them imbibing, especially when one of the songs specifically has lyrics that are wrong when it comes to the kingdom of God. Yeah, I'm going to just jump in there to agree with you. Uh, if if they're not catching it, I'm, I'm not going to make an issue out of it. But also, and you would say this too, depending on the error, I mean, just like that kind of an error is significant. But another one, like if you think about today's culture with the gender role issue and the sexuality issue, if anything remotely is, even if it's like a fun story, I'm, I'm going to pull that immediately. So I think that Okay, so one of my professors uh, that I had, Dr. Harvick III, for Old Testament seminar way back in the day in the seminary, he said it like this when it comes to, he was going, I think we mentioned this before, sorry for repeating ourselves, we're teachers though, we do that. So in his Old Testament class, he was talking about wrong date issues in the Old Testament. So scholars, it's like the archaeology stuff you're talking about. When did the Exodus happen? Most liberal scholars think it's like in the 1200s or something because of the burn layers in Judea. But actually it's it's way earlier. And so Dr. Hartog was teaching this and some of us in class were saying like, why do we need to study this? And his point was someone in your church is going to ask the question. You don't share it, but if they ask the question, the Lord probably has them ready for it. And I think of that too, in reading, like I'm not going to introduce my child to wickedness. I want him to be innocent of evil. But if he asks a question or hears something, I'm ready to address it. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would think yep. of that with my reading. Like yep. I'm not trying to introduce him too early to things. I'm also not trying to shelter him. But Yeah, it's a fine line. And I mean, ultimately, you do have to trust that yeah. God is going to be at work in each person's heart. And is, is one resource going to undermine or overthrow that? Well, no. But you do want to be careful. You know, there's, there's, it's what you started off with. It's a wisdom decision. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's important. So really quickly, so we, ju- we, were ta- we were interfacing there with Daniel Greenhall and Jill Blanc's questions. We're going to come back to Jill in a moment. But let's go ahead and uh, let's place these two on the uh, Thinkling's goodness scale. I got to do some complex calculation. Well, definitely a 10. Both 10s? I think so. Maybe 20 to, well, for the, they together, do right? listen to our podcast and they write right. in. So... Ooh. I think that's you, a 10. I think they're both yep, Daniel, definitely, Jill, definitely. You're, and we'll mention Daniel. You mentioned that you and your wife, Desiree, are both listening. So all of you, all everyone involved, 10s. 10s on the thing mm, that's good in scale. Very good. Very uh, good. We'll just go through a couple here. Seth Bishop is a current student, and he wrote in, and he was asking about a recommended reading list. Uh, and I think we already talked about that. Yes, we are going to have that. And uh, Seth, you just pop into any one of our offices and we'll, we'll give you a plethora of things to read. But uh, Seth, you listen to the Thinklings podcast, so you're a 10, buddy, on the Thinklings goodness scale. I mean, well done. Thanks for writing in. Way to go. We've next got Steve Pastor, Steve Cox. And uh, he was writing in as well about book recommendations and like, how do you sift through so many options? I have a really good way for you to sift through some good options. It's the Thinkling's goodness scale. <laughs> I think that's where I would start. If I was like, you know, let's, let, I need to come up with like 40, 50 books in a couple of weeks, there's going to be this Christmas episode that's like, hey, here's 40 or 50 books that you might benefit from 
reading and purchasing and gifting. So, uh, but would one of you guys want to uh, place Pastor Cox on the goodness scale? Well, I would just say because he listens to the Thinklings podcast, but also because every time I've seen him since this started, he's just been one of the most encouraging guys. He's always so uh, kind and mm-hmm. says nice things to us, encouraging us to keep going. So just for that and the fact that you listen to the podcast, you're definitely a 10 on the Thinklings goodness and scale. And you're not that far away, Pastor Cox, so come visit us. That's come right. Come see us up at the college. So yeah, we're going to go back to uh, Jill Blunk. She had she emailed in a couple of times, and then the one email says this. It says, submitting my request for the Thinklings to discuss Puritan writers or writings. And so uh, we're going to talk about that for a moment. And we definitely, it, de- it deserves to just be an episode, so we'll maybe think that one through. But we, we've kind of interacted with that. And so do you guys have any thoughts there on some Puritan boys? Uh, my main title that I recommend for the Puritans is The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers, and I think it's a great addition to your daily devotions. Pray one of the prayers and think about it. Uh, I think it's a very spiritually enriching experience. Another book that I'd recommend is The Glory of Grace. Uh, this is a title published by Banner of Truth, and it's an introduction to the Puritans in their own words. So if you're not very familiar with the Puritans, it's a great intro because is what they do is... A modern author has written, I don't know, a couple of pages about a specific Puritan author. Then they give you a snippet of like, I don't know, a chapter or half of a chapter of that specific Puritan. So it's a compilation of several Puritans uh, giving you background information from a modern author and then a portion of their writings. So those would be a couple of books that I'd recommend. I'm not really a big fan of the Puritans. A lot of times they're exegesis is not very exegetical, but um, still they lived through difficult days and um, bore the scars of our Savior. And so I do um, encourage people to read them, and I do look up to them as uh, heroes of the faith. Yeah, when I think of, so I haven't done a lot of studying them, but I would I would echo the same sentiment that I'm probably going to go elsewhere for my main understanding of the scriptures, but where I think they shine is they walked it out and they lived it out in difficult times. And then also, um, I I think sometimes they'll take one thought in the Bible and they will consider it for a long time. They will ponder it and meditate and and, and think, think, think it out. And that has been some rich help. So I'm currently working through Dane Ortland's, I think it's Dane Ortland, man, if I get that name wrong, uh, Gentle and Lowly. And it's him, he's talking about the nature of Christ as being a, a loving, gentle, kind God, and he's basically look he's he's looking back at some Puritan writers and what they've written about Christ's character, and it's been very enriching so far. I'm not super far into it; I'm like four chapters in. Uh, and the other book that I've actually done a little bit with, not very much, actually less than that one, is Thomas Watson's The Art of Divine Contentment. And in that one, the sense I got is he's basically thinking about contentment, and he's just thinking. If you think about the the steps of Bible study, observation, interpretation, application, it's almost like they take their interpretive thought, whether they get there the right way or the wrong way, but then they're very good at saying, what does this look like in life? It, that's almost what it seems like, especially like your prayer book you're talking about. So that, that's a I'm limited experience. Yeah, and do you have another comment to jump in? Uh, off of the Puritans, but something else with Jill's. Okay, yeah, I'll just say really quickly. Any of those like Valley of Vision, like prayer, reflective type of ideas, those are super helpful. And so uh, you might hear that and you're like, oh, I need to read a book about prayer. They're actually really helpful devotionally. And so you might be surprised how much that helps you. 
Uh, Jill also mentioned about what our wives are reading. And this is something we should maybe discuss sometime just about uh, women's titles. There's a lot of trash when it comes to <laughs> women's books. I sell some of it at the bookstore. Not a lot. We try to filter out a lot of it. But um, uh, as far as what my wife is reading right now, my wife's actually studying Greek right now. So she's reading Mouse's Greek grammar. And uh, um, Good move. Good move. I don't remember where this came from. I mean, we've been reading through Acts in our personal or our family devotions. And so uh, she was wondering about church history. So Shelley's Short History of the Church, I think, is the title. So we are reading through some of that together, which is a good refresher for me as well. I'm not a church history person, and uh, I forget. So those are just a couple of things that we're reading. That is not in my, my wife's normal wheelhouse of uh, reading Okay, normally she's reading stuff like You Who by Rachel Jankovic. She loves that title, and I would recommend it, ladies. Even Exile by Rebecca Merkel. Uh, I would recommend that title. Great title. Um, so let's just be a couple. Uh, Nancy Wilson, I think, has a contentment book that my wife really liked as well. Anyway. So we're moving on to Shane Callison up at uh, IRBC. He works up at the camp in our state. And... Uh, Shane th- says, thanks for the podcast. I pretty regularly listen to podcasts while at work, and I was pretty excited to see you guys start one. He also said, do you have any suggestions for other podcasts, like if you know of any other good podcasts? So it's kind of like Inception. What do the podcasters listen to in podcast form? And I listen to a whole bunch of things, like ton, like wide, wide-ranging genres, like hunting stuff, Hawkeye football stuff, diet stuff, like all of that, like workout stuff. Like it's just random, depends on the day. I mean, I think we would all agree that there's probably one benchmark for us that is a really consistently good podcast, which would be... Ours, The Thinklings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're number one. And then number two would be The Briefing by Al Mohler. That's where I was actually going, was I think The Briefing is a really... (laughs) Really solid podcast that, and it's a daily podcast and a daily analysis of uh, news and events from a Christian worldview. And I think it's it's really really solid. But any other ones you guys want to throw in quickly? Uh, I I so I listen to podcasts sporadically when I have travel time. So if I'm running errands and whatnot, I like the Plodcast. Plodcast by Doug Wilson. P L O D. Yep. P L O D. Yep. He um he talks about books that I like, and he usually has a cultural commentary. A little tip there though, he. He's going to see eschatology different, uh, so you want to be aware of that. I've been working through a podcast called Shepherdology, Shepherdology by uh, Dr. Dean Taylor, who teaches here, and he's had this out for like a year and a half, and I just started through it like about six months ago, and I we're, have found it very... We're company um, men. Yeah. Faith Baptist Bible College faculty. But even even though I work, even if I didn't work here, I would say this has been very enriching and helpful. He has really good thoughts. And then I really like, he always, he's trying to be a friend to people in ministry. And so if you're in a Christian ministry, or even if you're helping out your church, whatever, these are nourishing thoughts. And then he always ends his podcast with a prayer for you. It's really... It's it's an it's different and I've really enjoyed that. So yeah. I think uh, oh Luther in real time. Oh man. I'm reading I'm listening to Luther in real time. It's like 10 minutes and every week an episode drops. You never know what day it is and it talks about something going on in Luther's life 500 years ago to the day. So you don't even know what day it's going to be that week. So that's been kind of fun. Church history if you like it. I've got one to add. By the Waters of Babylon by Scott Annual. So, um, I, by the way, I'm not a podcast person. I, it just doesn't work in my life. I walk to work. I don't, 
it just podcasts are not my thing. In fact, I didn't even use Apple Podcast or any podcast app until we started creating a podcast. So uh, I'm not Horrendous a good authority to on your this. Shame. <laughs> but now he loves it. <laughs> and now it's stupendous. <laughs> so I've learned that when I am like working in the garage or whatever, then I can queue a few up and listen to them through my AirPods. So it it is uh, somewhat beneficial. Uh, but by the waters of Babylon is one I would recommend by Scott Annual. So this thing think through emotions, properly ordered affections, and uh, music. Okay, so Scott Annual is a musician, and I would recommend his podcast. The last one, I, just, I was just looking through my feed, and it's called Everyday Ecclesiology, and it's literally by Daniel Greenhall and his wife, Desiree. Is they it have, really? Yeah, they've started their own podcast. They have oh, 10 cool. episodes, and I think I've gotten like two or three in. And uh, so I'll check it out. I fun. didn't even know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well done, guys. That's another reason they're a 10 on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale right there. I do. I did think of one more to throw in, which is, I think it's called Five Minutes in Church History, which yeah. it's a really cool, just like, yep. I can't think of the guy's name. I could look it up, but we're we're kind of going a little long just for an introduction here. So um, they just it's literally five minutes in church history. It's just going to talk about some, a little snippet of something. And every one of them is like, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Like, and it's yeah. I listen to them. And it, every time I'm like, I should write this down. It'd be a great illustration in a sermon or something like that. It's just always super informative and, and kind of interesting. I listen to it when I drive home for lunch because it's a five-minute drive. And so it's just like, boop, boop. And I listen to one on the way home. And uh, are coming back to the school. So, any other podcasts? No. Okay. Did we put Did we put Shane on the Thinkling's Goodness no. Scale? Okay. So, Shane, there's a lot of good podcasts for you to consider there. And Shane, you are absolutely because you work up at our camp and you listen to this podcast. You are a solid ten on solid the Thinkling's 10. Goodness Scale. Okay. We've got two more here. And these might be a little bit longer discussions. What are you Can snapping I have one at more me? podcast I just remembered? Oh, yeah. Throw it in. My wife listens to How I Built This. It's fascinating. It's this guy who interviews people who built large companies, hmm. and the stories are phenomenal. So anyways, just one more. That's it. Moving cool. on. So these last two might, I don't know. We'll see where the, the conversations go here, but there's some good thoughts here. First is Jared Ball. He says, hey, Thinklings, there's an agglomeration of topics, good which word. is a, an awesome word. Two vocab points for you, There's sir. an agglomeration, not a conglomeration, an uh, A-G-G, agglomeration. It is a word. Look it up. An agglomeration of topics I'd like to hear you discuss, but I've picked my favorite for now. What do you three as disciples have to say about the dramatic, emotional, romantic moments in the life of a believer? If we know, quote, the end of the story, end quote, and that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, can't that take the sting out of life's difficult, difficult moments? Can it take the poetic struggle out of the search for love? How are we to remain emotional and deep creatures if life's problems have seemingly been solved for those that love the Lord? Thoughts? Who uh, I'll take a shot here at this. Um, you know, that's interesting. If you think about it, you, the idea is like, well, you know, God knows what's going to happen. So and in the end, he wins. So no big deal. Right. But actually, in real life, that you, you can you can assent to that intellectually. But in real life, that doesn't happen. So if you could go through something hard, you know, and you know, you know that God's got the end of it figured out. And, you know, that it's not it's going to turn out the way he wants and for his purposes. But what is it that we struggle with as we go through that? It's actually we struggle with can we trust him or not? And if we do trust him, 
do we really think he knows what he's doing? Is this really the way it should happen? There's all kinds of questions that come up that reveal how much we trust in him. So I don't think just because the end of the story is written that that means we'll, we'll just be like these robots going through life. So for example, our family had a struggle with cancer last year and my wife recovered well, but that was a hard road. I mean, at the beginning, we didn't know what it was going to be like. We didn't know where it was going to end. And I can tell you confidently, my wife and I both knew that no matter what happens, we know God is in control and we trust him. But that didn't mean it wasn't scary and it wasn't fearful and it wasn't hard and I didn't cry and I didn't uh, have difficult days. But I think you even see that with like with, with the Savior. Lazarus dies and Christ is, he knows he's going to raise him and he's crying. Christ is going to Calvary. He he knows he's doing God's will, and yet he's vexed, and he or he's uh, I don't know I have to say it the right way for Christ, but he's he's tore up about it, and it's, it's it's difficult. So I don't think that just because God knows the end of the story and we know the end of the story that that means it won't be hard. So and I think there's another direction to go next. But Charlie, you jump in here. Yeah, and I think I think what I would say is you remain emotionally deep creature, uh, you remain or become an emotionally deep creature. And that, that doesn't mean that you have to have these huge dramatic moments. It's that yep. to be an emotionally deep creature means that you have proper emotions in the proper order. So example, like, well, yeah, God's sovereign and, and a believer dies and goes to heaven. So when someone dies, you don't have to mourn because you know they're in heaven. Well, what happens in reality <laughs> is my dad passes away and it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. And that will hurt. It does hurt. It, it, it still feels, if I think about it and dwell upon it, it still feels like yesterday. However, there is also, so there's an emotion involved with that death. There's also a proper emotion of loving the Lord and knowing and trusting his sovereignty that is greater. And if that emotion is ordered properly, that doesn't take the sting away, but it puts everything in proper perspective. And I think that would be a very lewis way of looking at it because he, he went through tons of suffering. And I think ultimately what he would have arrived at was, but God is good and that's a greater truth than the pain I'm feeling. Uh, so I don't know, what do you think about that? No, I, I, I'm just going to jump right in and say it. That's, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, when we walked our road of difficulty, trusting in God, theologically knowing these things was what was our anchor. We knew God was sovereign. We knew he was good. And this is by his grace. We're not good people. He worked that in us, and we're very thankful for that. But knowing those things never took away the difficulty part. It changed the difficulty. It, it was a lamenting hope in God. It was a trusting in the difficult days, but it actually didn't remove all that. I think that's kind of a misunderstanding that if you're a Christian, life is easy because you've had no problems. But when someone dies and you don't mourn their death, you probably, maybe you didn't love them as much as you thought you did. So it's if you don't mourn, it's not that God's sovereign. It might be that you didn't love his, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say that for everybody, but it would it would appear that the sovereignty of God doesn't take those things away. And that, in fact, that's just normal. Okay. Uh, yeah. Can, where no one's going to go. The only other thing I would say is how are we to remain? He says, how are we to remain? Uh, oh, let me go back here. Can it take the, can't it take out the poetic struggle for the search for love? What I would, I would say is, I don't know if we want to do this now, but 
I would ask what he, what you mean by love, the struggle and the search for love. Love's a biblical command that I am to have. And so I, I would say that maybe there's something there. It says, how are we to remain emotional and deep creatures? Like we're the way God designed us. So the first part, the end of the story, I think I can handle. The second part, I would probably want to ask you, what do you mean by love? And what do you mean by the search for love? I guess that's where I would go next. Yeah. So like defining love is a big topic and, uh, <laughs> you guys. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about fear and love. And this is something for you to think through. When you're thinking through a definition of love, I I work in Christian retail. Do you know how many times I see love, 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 and very few people really think through love biblically. And whenever anybody asks me, well, or whenever I ask them, so when you think about love, what do you think about in the Bible? What what do you think that they say? 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, everybody goes to 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. chapter. Exactly. Wait a minute. What about the Old Testament? Deuteronomy chapter 6. What does it say? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen. Love God. How do you do that? How do you love God? All right, And, and think through a definition of love. How do you love God? All right. I mean, that's an emotion, so it's just supposed to be something that you feel. So then how do you create a feeling? Is that what love is, where you're creating a feeling? Is that biblical? See, some have really struggled with this idea that God commands Israel to love him. And they say that's just backwards because that's not really love. They, they think that it's some ancient Near Eastern peace treaty kind of idea and we're going to revisit this. I think we talk about this in Abolition 1 uh, in a future episode. But I just want to uh, introduce you to this a little bit. When you're thinking through love, I'm going to take you to uh, the book of Ruth. I'm going to look at Boaz and Ruth as an illustration. People often have this big romantic concept of Boaz and Ruth. I would encourage you just to read through the entire book. It's four chapters. won't take you that long. And ask yourself, where is romance here? What you have in the story of Boaz and Ruth is a couple of ladies, Ruth and Naomi, and they are starving, like, for food, okay? Like, they're going to die. That's what's going on in the story of Ruth. In fact, their, you know, one-year plan is that they'll be dead. That's essentially it, okay? This is the best romantic comedy (laughs) I have ever heard of. And so in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi is concerned about, uh, Naomi is concerned about Ruth's security. And we're thinking security. We're not thinking romance. We're thinking about somebody that's going to provide for her and protect her. And so you have this odd scene at the threshing floor. And that night, okay, uh, uh, Boaz, he says this. I'm going to read from Ruth chapter 3, verse 12. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, then I will duel him, and one of us will die for you. Now that sounds like a romantic comedy. <laughs> I'm going to re- get ready. And they lived happily ever after. Is that on the Hallmark Channel that yet? I mean, that would make a great movie. Yikes. That's not what the text says. <laughs> really? So good. No. So good. And so how does this, how, how does our perception of love Okay, been tainted by romanticism. It's almost like that was a movement or something. How has our perception of love been affected by our culture? Now, what does the text say? 
Ruth 3.13. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he, this other guy, will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So here is Boaz, and he's saying, you know what, Ruth, you do have some, you need to have somebody to provide for you and to protect you. And this other guy, it is his responsibility to do that. If he refuses to do that, then I will do it. Okay? But if he is willing to marry you and fulfill his Deuteronomic responsibility, then so be it. And that's it. I mean, that's like a completely different concept of love. I mean, is that love? I mean, how do we process through this idea of love? And so I'm not going to answer all of these questions. I'm just going to try to challenge your current perception of what love is. And I'm going to end with one verse, one verse that's repeated three times in the book of Song of Songs. The verse is Song 2, 7, 3, 5, and 8, 4. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And single individual, I would encourage you to study out what does it mean to love? Because whatever it is, you are not to awaken it. And I'd especially encourage you to connect that to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and how you are supposed to awaken a love for God. But this kind of a love is supposed to be shut down until a specific time period. Yeah, that's that right there is the equivalent of Hey, you know, I would love to date you, but you, my brother's a better guy. Why don't you date him? And there's not a lot of romantic comedies that go that way. <laughs> if he says no, sure, then we can, you know. And, you know, I think the reality is is that our culture today is very prideful and prejudiced when it re- when oh. you get into these discussions of romance. <laughs> and, uh, you two, know, maybe we need to rethink it. Two points for you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually seven chapters into that. I've right been now. waiting for, to say that for like three minutes. Okay, last last email. I know this Hold is on. going long. You, we'll tell you. You can but just we, jump. We got to put Jared. Oh, yep, yep. Okay, one more email. But before we do that, Tim. What? If you had to place Jared Ball on the Thinkling's oh. goodness scale, where where would you place him? Jared, you listen to our podcast regularly. You come and talk to us. You even leave stuff at our recording studio. And some really good stuff, let me tell you. <laughs> like this title I'm looking at right now, Rebellious Wives and Slacker it. Husbands. Oh. Where does he find these? Weird I don't know. Pamphlets? This is like this is like a forty-year-old little pamphlet. I know. Like, where does he come up with this? But you have really nice pens too, by the way. Fountain pens. Way to go, Jared. You are a ten on the Thinkling's goodness scale. Okay. Last email. This is from Tim Daney, and uh, he wrote in a comment on our website on the on a post there when we we were talking about. I can't remember if we were talking about what makes a good book. I think it was that episode, and we we were talking about how th- this idea of reading just for entertainment. And how that that's not necessarily the the best route of reading. It's it is a it is a way to read is to read to entertain yourself. But there's more to reading than just that. And we brought up this book that's been wildly popular in in probably my generation, which is Harry Potter. And we kind of used it as the whipping boy of like this. They just read it because they like it, and you know they're just. They're not really thinking about all the themes and stuff that are there. And Tim wrote in asking for us to just kind of talk a little more about that. And the phrase that I really liked was, he, he phrased it this way, 
that these secular authors have, and there's the quote, a need to borrow from a Christian worldview. And that's what actually makes some of these works fairly appealing is that here's someone who's not, strictly speaking, a Christian, but they're writing something and there's a lot of Christian-y ideas in it. And that maybe is what makes it so appealing. Why don't you guys, let's, let's talk about, we, we had a grill out at Tim's house like a month or two ago. And while Tim was grilling, this is what we were talking about. I wish we would have had microphones there that night because it would have captured this. It, it was magical. It was, it was <laughs> real just. <laughs> Five points gonna... to Gryffindor. Come on. <laughs> Can we just talk about romanticism? <laughs> I wanted to do something with wizard. I wanted to be like, it's really some, that was some wizardry, but I, I couldn't yeah. quite, you know, I, I you couldn't love you. So the, okay. Yeah. All right, I'm done, I'm yeah. Done, so anyway, what, what do you think about that? Secular authors and the need to borrow from a Christian worldview. So yeah. So he, he posted this, he tried to post it on multiple sites. And so like he posted a little bit on my blog and he posted it on our blog. And so I had interacted, you had interacted. And I thought one of the things that he thought that was helpful is he was trying to say there are good things in the book that are intriguing, like have redeeming qualities or eternal truthness to them. I don't know how you want to say that, but he's his point, And it's so perceptive. It's what you, you grab there, Charlie. It's that you're borrowing from the Christian worldview. This is, this is, it goes back to the thought of the, the truth, goodness, and beauty, the transcendentals, the things that are very hard to justify outside of Christianity. So if you're um, an apologist, I, I, I favor presuppositionalism, but I still like classical and evidential and all that. I just, you need a presuppositional foundation to understand why those things can work the way they do, in my opinion. And I think I can show that in various places in Scripture. But a presuppositional approach is pretty key on looking at other worldviews and pulling them apart and showing that they don't fit. And I think that's one of the services presuppositionalism, even if you don't like it. Even people who aren't presuppositional will say this is one of the benefits is it's been a good critique of other worldviews. So when you look at something that has goodness to it, but it's not particularly Christian, sometimes you need to ask why, number one, do you, is that goodness actually really good? But then number two, if it is, where does that worldview, where is it able to justify it? And I, part of the intriguing thing is that when you find stuff that's truly good and truly beautiful and actually true, it's very hard to ground that in any worldview that's not Christian or atheist or whatever. Like if it's not the Christian worldview, so it's like an atheist or agnostic or Eastern or pantheistic or, or whatever. It's very hard. People have struggles with it. What's intriguing is that actually functions, I personally think, as what something we all know inside that a God exists, Romans chapter one. So Lewis said this, and so yeah, you're shaking your head here. So Lewis, C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, he'd walked away from the Anglican faith. He was, he liked this, he called it the new look. He's going to be an atheist. He's going to be the smart guy. And he, he likes literature, so he begins to read atheist writers. And, I mean, this is a paraphrase, but he basically comes up thinking these are all trashy. Like, they're just not good. Not trash, like, it's just not good writers. Not full, their stories aren't interesting. And then he finds Christian writers. He doesn't know they're Christian at first. Reads their books, thinks these are great, and then finds that they're Christian. He gets annoyed, and he keeps thinking, why aren't my atheist writers as good? And the, what he comes to is, oh, the Christian worldview is actually richer. There's a number of atheists we talk about in apologetics, same thing. They looked at the Christian, they looked at what's good and beautiful and true, and you can't find it in an atheist system. 
Nietzsche goes insane, actually, for having this idea. He understands there's no meaning, no purpose, no nothing on atheism and down to the rabbit hole of insanity. So what they end up doing is borrowing yes. from oh. the Christian worldview. Yep. And so we would, and that we, we, we would agree that that is, that is all over in Harry Potter. Go ahead. And, and when we say borrow, that's a phrase from an apologist. Um, I believe it's Frank Turk. But the point is, or maybe it goes back to Francis Schaeffer. But the point is, they don't always know. They're, they're not aware. They're not saying, oh, I don't have this tool, and I'm going to borrow it from Christianity. We're just saying their system can't produce that. Mm-hmm. And yet they still have it. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They're a created being, made to glorify the God, and they live in and, God's reality. And I think that would be maybe not a... F- and I'll, I'll let the pendulum swing both ways. I'll critique, and then I'll come back and critique my critique. That would maybe be my problem with Harry Potter is that it's not a Christian worldview, and it's decidedly not. And those virtues that are borrowed, where are they grounded in the story? It's yep. in the hero. And if you want to, and so it's it's this guy who is, I I really don't like saying this, but it's this guy Harry Potter who will be the savior. He's the chosen yeah. one. And what does he do for his friends? He saves all of the wizards mm-hmm. and witches. Like he's the guy who defeats the evil. And so yes, there are themes there, but it, it's really built into this. I, I want to say humanistic, but he's not a human. He's a wizard. But <laughs> um, <laughs> So well it, I guess some, somewhere in the mythology there, you have to think through what you were saying. Well, how's it grounded? But then, yeah. so let it swing back the other way. And you had actually mentioned C.S. Lewis, and Lewis observed this in Christian writers. There's a guy we've talked about, George MacDonald, who was one of these, uh, he's German Reformed pastor who it frustrated Lewis how much he loved MacDonald's writing, which was fiction, by the way. He loved it. It was, it was like the opposite Harry Potter. It was like, here's a Christian Harry Potter that Lewis the atheist hated. And, but then he eventually realizes that these, these writings kind of immersing him into a Christian worldview is what starts the process of his conversion. And he, he writes, he, he really, it's not writing. He compiled a George MacDonald anthology of different selections from MacDonald. And there's something really helpful in the introduction to that book that Lewis says about MacDonald that I think applies here. And I think that's where I would correct myself. And it's, this is Lewis talking about MacDonald. He says, I'm not, and this is a paraphrase, I'm not going to theologically classify George MacDonald. And Lewis was like very humble in his approach to theology. He's like, I'm a layman. I can't theologically classify someone and I shouldn't try to, which by the way, that's probably wrong. He was incredibly intelligent and I think he could have done it just fine. He shouldn't have sold, sold himself so short, but maybe that was just his humility. But he says, I'm not going to try and classify him theologically. And here's why, because then that kind of pigeonholes George MacDonald. Like Anyone who's a Calvinist who would find out this is a German Reformed pastor in the 1800s would be like, I'm not listening to that guy. His theology is horrible. But Lewis's point is the moment that I say he's an ist or he believes in this ism, that is then going to paint my understanding of everything he does. And that's not fair to him because there are a lot of things that MacDonald wrote that were valuable. In fact, had drastic uh, impact on Lewis's spiritual life, even though Lewis didn't theologically agree with him everywhere. And so I kind of look at that with our, our treatment of Harry Potter. We want to be careful not to pigeonhole a book. Well, because she's not a Christian, because of this character, because of this idea, there aren't some good things there, but we just need to read with discernment always. But I, th- I think that, that I love that quote from Lewis. Just we want to be careful no matter what the book is, 
to to not do that, not to pigeonhole someone. And that would be, if we did that, that would be making the genetic fallacy that just because something came from this, it must be wrong. And that's that's just not true. And I think Rowling, I mean, she deals with, she actually quotes scripture in her seventh book. So I would, I would be curious what she would call herself, although it I is, think it's, she's questioned her, she's saying she's questioning her faith. It's super interesting to me when popular level things quote scripture. Yeah. It because is. they, they want to do it with like Christmassy ideas and they, they mm-hmm. use it as like an emotional tool because yes. like, oh, this will mean something to people. But then what do they do? They do it usually really yeah. poorly. <laughs> like it's it's like this understanding of a verse that is like, that does not mean that. Like that's not in context. Like it's just funny that like there, there are some popular TV shows over the last mm-hmm. 15, 20 years that have done that, which also, by the way, Usually funny like rom-com popular TV shows always have a Christian character that they mock or actually has really poor values. And it, it shows you what they think of religious people, and, which is they're all over the place. Like the, there's TV shows that have these characters and they're, they're religious and they, they use that character as a mockery of, of the whole thing, which is just tune your brain into that because there are some really funny shows that after a, a watch through, I'm kind of like, look at their idea of Christianity from that one character. And it's really interesting. Which is exactly why we're trying not to do that. Yes. Because we don't want to do the same thing. We want to be fair and kind. <laughs> I don't think it's fair for them to do that of yeah. an example of a Christian who may or like, I, I don't want to name names from characters, but I don't think it's fair that we do that. Either way, that we looking at a secular book would be like, oh, she's secular. You don't have to. That's all bad, you know. But at the same time, Harry Potter, it's something you need to be careful of, especially if you are interested in letting your child uh, read to them, uh, because some of the characters are really not very good. (laughs) Yeah. They don't obey their parents. They don't obey authorities. Um, There are some... Uh, pieces there. So I have not read them. I'm going to let Stearns talk more about them. So I have read them and I'm not recommending them. I I have to. Yeah. I just, I have read them. And my favorite critique is um, Kevin Bowder's critique. He has a Nick of Time article. You can find it online where he talks about the Christian and fantasy literature. And when he goes to critique Harry Potter, he actually doesn't start with the magic angle because he says if if magic is the issue, his position is there's other magical stuff in the world that you'd have to get rid of, which is fine, but you'd have to get rid of all of that. And he thinks there's, I think he thinks there's a certain type of magic that's bad. And that's not like, this is like superpower magic. It'd be like what the Avengers and comic books and whatnot are using that. His issue is what you just said to him. It's that it, if you have a teenager, it's going to disciple. I don't know if he'd use that word. I would, it's going to disciple them to uh, lean into their rebellious attitude and lean into their sinful tendencies and lead into their self-focused pride. And it's just going to pour gas on that fire of rebellion and disobedience to parents. And also, like Harry will judge someone else in the book for doing some wicked thing to him, and then he'll turn around and do the same thing. And when he does it, it's okay. So you have because this, he's the chosen Exactly. One. He's the child who lives. He can't do any wrong. Yeah. And so there, the, there's a a very skewed morality. And I'm glad you pointed that out. So I think sometimes you see the magic part and I'm not saying that that's not something to think about and that's not an issue, but, but what's really probably going to sink in if you read it and your discernment's not on is the rebellion, the wickedness, the evil, the living for yourself, the, the, the deeds of the flesh. Okay. We need to wrap this up, but here are the first thing very, we have to place 
Tim Daney on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale, mm-hmm. and I will take this one because I also know something else. We had a we we asked our listeners to write in poems. There was a, a, a podcast where I read a coffee poem I had written. We said, hey, you guys should write in coffee poems. And Tim was the only one that wrote in a poem. And I tried to read it and learn its timing so I could deliver it in a way that was acceptable. And I eventually kind of settled on, you know what, I'm just, I'd rather not just butcher this because I couldn't quite catch the sense of the timing. But Tim, you listen to the podcast and you write in with some awesome coffee poetry so I don't think there's any other way that you're not a 10 on the Thinkling's Goodness Scale. That's right. You're a 10, man. So with that, we want to just big theme say, everyone that listens, if you're actually listening to this at this point, we are thankful for you. And now we're going to jump into your regularly scheduled program. Welcome to the Thinkling's Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 16. Six, the sweet 16. Happy Thanksgiving, which this is a very unique year for us at the college because you went home at Thanksgiving. Yes. So it's... Stop sniffling. You know... Some of our jobs are directly dependent on the students being at the college, so we really miss them when they're gone. Anyway, so yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Charlie. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, We are going to talk about the giving of thanks, being thankful. Stearns is going to talk about that today. But before we do, as always, we have some thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Every time. I'm supposed to say, let's talk about books first. (laughs) And then you're supposed to say books and business. You want to do it again? No, we got it. We're good. Okay. So books and business. Let's talk about the business of books. So I grabbed a book off my shelf I read a while ago that I think is, is a neat book. And so I thought it would be worth talking about. It's called 21 Things God Never Said. It's by a man named Larry Moyer. He has an evangelism ministry called Eventel. If you've ever heard the good news, bad news in a track form, it's probably a Larry Moyer track. I he, have heard of the good news. Well, no, yeah, but the 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 two good. Okay, you, anyways, so he's got this. He, he's got a ministry when it comes to evangelism, and what he does is this book is it, the subtitle is correcting our misconceptions about evangelism. I'm just going to read a couple of the chapter titles because there's some very helpful ones. So misconception. Uh, here's a misconception. If you don't know the date you were saved, then you're not saved. So some people think that if I can't remember the day I got saved, I must not be saved. And so he makes a point that really, technically, the gospel is trusting in Christ. So are you trusting in Christ? So that's kind of an interesting thought-provoking thought. If you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. He clarifies that that's not the language of the New Testament. This is a very helpful chapter if you've been raised with the Asking, Jesus. I was raised with that. So, and I'm not begrudging anyone. I just, I thought I needed to ask Jesus into my heart, and then I couldn't feel him in there, and I didn't know if he was there actually, because I was thinking of the blood pumping organ. I've got so many thoughts. I know. Well, I don't we could, know. We no. could talk going. about. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. One is another misconception is if you miss an opportunity to share Christ with someone, it's your fault that they go to hell. And I would say that you, at that point, were probably, it's possible you were not a perfect Christian and you just missed the opportunity, but it's possible you just disobeyed. But they bear the guilt for their sin, not you. And so he just goes through a lot of these very helpful things that I think sometimes will keep us nervous about evangelism and not wanting to share the gospel. So it's a helpful book. I'd recommend it. 
Larry Moore. It's super short. I mean, this is, you guys see, it's like 150 pages and they're not that large. So, so as we, we're nearing the end of season one, we're rounding into form. We have to place the book on the Thinkling's goodness scale. The goodness scale. scale. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. so give I, me a goodness number. I would say, so, and, and just to remind our, our listeners, anything on the goodness scale means it's good. It's, it's, it's not, you know, I would say this is probably a, a, a three to five on the goodness scale. It's, it's a good book. I would read it, you know, but d- do you have to read it? Well, no, but if you've got these questions, probably a good book. I have Living in the Hope of Glory by Adolf Manad, and I am killing his name. He is a French guy, and I don't know how to pronounce it. The last name is M-O-N-O-D. Uh, this is, so it's a translation from a French book, but he was a pastor back in the 1800s. He uh, died rather young on his deathbed. He was, well, deathbed. He, he was uh, suffering for about two or three years before he died. And so these, this book is basically a compilation of his last sermons. So it was a man that was dying, and he was reflecting upon his life and exhorting his family and his church to persist in godliness. Very good book. Uh, it hasn't really resonated with me just because I've read a lot of books like this, and it's a Christian living title, so it's more of a, it's an easier reading title. But he uh, really addresses the issue of sin and how we don't take sin seriously. He talks about how Jesus is, is everything, and the cost of discipleship is everything, and so we need to live sacrificially. He talks about the heart and how we need to sanctify our hearts and examine our hearts. He talks about praying and asking the Lord to reveal the sin in our hearts. So it's a, a great Christian living title that tells, tells me what I don't want to hear and reminds me of that. The book really reminds me of Valley of Vision. I think I recommended that book previously on the podcast, where Puritans reflect upon, uh, or they pray. So, uh, uh, and the prayers are very similar, where they're examining self-reflection, examining sin in our lives, repenting, and confessing that sin. So, Living in the Hope of Glory, I'm going to give it a five on the Thinklings scale. All right. The goodness scale. So, we've got two... Two Christian living books. Two fives. Yeah. The book that I'm reading is actually not my book. It is Tim's book. And the title of it is Alive to God, Studies in Spirituality. And it's a, and you, you can answer this question better than me. I've only read one article in it. It's, it's a group of articles, correct? Or Yes, it's a, it's a book with several different authors. And I have only read one article in the book as well because I bought the book for just that one article. And that article is... The Fear of the Lord, The Foundation for a Relationship with God by Bruce Waltke. And so Tim, on episode three of the Thinklings podcast, talked about The Fear of the Lord. Ooh, it was broke a good down. episode. Oh, it was a good episode. It, it's probably my favorite so far. I it's... loved it too. <laughs> That's not true. He, he's very hard on himself. So I wanted to dive into this. And so that article about The Fear of the Lord, I did find it to be very helpful one of the things that he does is he kind of creates this grid. And if you could imagine a XY axis, I don't know what that's called, a Cartesian, is that what it's called? I think that's, yeah. Cartesian graph, I don't know. It sounds good, let's I, go with it. That sounds super smart, it's definitely probably wrong. But anyway, so you have the Y axis that goes up and down, you have the X axis that is horizontal. On the up and down, on the top you had, I can't remember which one, but you have general and special revelation on the Y axis. And then on the horizontal you've got love and fear. And it's this idea of, how different forms of revelation require a different response or evoke a different response. 
And he's using that to kind of encapsulate, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, he's trying to visually represent kind of the semantic ideas that are encapsulated by the phrase fear of the Lord. So sometimes it is a general revelation and it's a love that's manifested, or sometimes it's a very specific, like the law, a very specific revelation, and it's manifested in like a, like a visual fear, like, oh, I better obey because he's God. I don't know. Would you say that that's accurate? That's my understanding of it. I read the article like six, seven years ago. I think you know that <laughs> right now. Charlie, I've never read it, but it sounded like you were right on. What's actually really interesting <laughs> about it, well, and I'll close it with this. What's really interesting about it is he builds off of a lot of ideas from Otto Grant. No, what's his first name? His last name's Otto. I don't know, Tim man. Shane. I don't remember. It's your book, bro. Okay. So <laughs> we don't remember every there's, there's single this thing book, you read. It's called Charlie. The Idea of the Holy. The Idea of the Holy by Otto. And what's significant about that book is in 1963, C.S. Lewis was asked what are the 10 most influential books oh, that he could list. And, and on that list, I believe it's number five or number six, he referenced the idea of the holy by the, Graham. This is coming Graham, back Otto. to me. Yes. And we so even talked about this, Charlie. Yes. Waldke is building on those ideas about what is this idea of this spiritual holy thing. So, yeah, you're just going to have to get into it and, and see what you think. The concepts of fear and love are Old Testament con- concepts. You see them interchangeably in Deuteronomy 5 and 6. The, I don't know, some people think they're even uh, legal terminology, like, Love the Lord your God. Well, how do you command somebody to love when it's a feeling? And so some have said, well, it's not really love. It's a political term. And so you have a suzerain vassal treaty where what is the lesser party supposed to do? He's supposed to love the higher party. And so it's just a political term. I completely reject that thesis. And Walke and others have bunked, debunked it as well. So what does it mean to love? What does it mean to fear? These are things for other podcasts he says mm. i read it six seven years ago and i don't remember yeah that's well true. all yeah. of that's not in that article or book <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> that's coming from other places anyway i enjoyed waldke's article on the fear of the lord and that graph is it, it's a good visual representation of how you might understand it get the book alive to god you might enjoy that article or there's all these other great articles in there that i didn't even look at so, i have no idea if they're good or not <laughs> it says on the front it's edited by j.i packer so there might be something good oh, in there. Yeah. i don't know Okay, we got we to gotta transition. Stearns, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about turkeys yeah, pilgrims. Yeah, or not. Or something else. Or just Thanksgiving. Why I really like Thanksgiving, I guess this is what I would like to point out, is that I think Thanksgiving, of all the holidays, well, okay, aside from Christmas and Easter, okay, I'm barring those, but of all the non- the other holidays in our culture, I think Thanksgiving is one of the most profitable holidays for Christians to celebrate because I think thankfulness is a decidedly Christian virtue. So I want to show, I want to compare two pictures of humans in the Bible. I want to go to Romans 1 and I want to compare a picture of humans who are in sin and have not yet come to know God. And I want us to say, what are some of the words the Bible uses to describe them? Then I want to go over to Colossians 3, and I want to look at humans who know God, have been saved, and I want to see how the Bible describes them. And I'll just tell you right now, 
Thankfulness or unthankfulness, gratefulness or ungratefulness is a dividing line between those two groups. So here I am, I'm in Romans chapter 1. Paul starts off his, it's a long discussion uh, laying out out the, the plan of salvation, how things work, and then he goes into the Christian life. So in chapter 1, in 16, he starts off by talking about the gospel. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So he starts off with, okay, this is the gospel I want to talk about. Now he immediately moves to the bad news, the, the, the evil or the, the bad part of our condition. What's our problem? What's the need that we have? The problem is the wrath of God rests on us. So verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, that is to say by their sin that they're committing, they suppress the truth. Now this is interesting because he's talking about humans who don't know God yet. They have not come to know him. They have not come to trust in him. They are unsaved human beings, and yet they know some truth. So what is that truth? Well, he goes on to say in verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So what he's saying there is that humans who are not saved know something, even if they don't have a Bible in their hands. And what they know is that God exists. How do they know that? They see it in creation. They see that whoever created what this whole world had to have been eternally powerful. And it couldn't have been just a force. It had to be a mind. Everyone knows this intuitively. As a teacher of apologetics, this is one of the main passages. But now look when it goes on to condemn them for not living the right way according to this knowledge. So here you are, you're a human, you know God exists. You know he does. And yet you take that truth and you suppress it. Look at the way the Bible describes that situation in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Of the first two descriptions of these people who know God exists, but shove that knowledge down and don't want to have anything to do with them, the way the Bible describes them is they do not honor them, they do not honor God, and they do not give him Thanks. They are ungrateful people. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we see this all throughout our relationships and our personal friends, unbelievers. You know, it's it's like all over in our culture, as you just even read through that. And it made me just think of some some people even that I know and how that ungratefulness, unthankful, they're always wanting more, uh, this covetousness and envy of what somebody else has. And then what's really ironic about it all is that some of these people that are so covetous and envious, they have more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I think it's interesting because when I look at my own life, when I am not content, I'm also probably not thankful for what I have. So I would say that when I'm not walking according to the way God would want me to, this, this can become my life. So I think it's interesting that if you look through the scriptures, generally, not always, and Christians are not perfect, so it's not that we aren't unthankful, but a mark of the person who does not yet know God and is still in total rebellion, that person is described as someone who's ungrateful. And not just ungrateful in general. There's an object here. They are ungrateful to the God they should be grateful to. 
All right, so I want to contrast that with Colossians 3. So if you want to flip your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 is one of my favorite passages. I worked at a ministry a long time ago where throughout the summer you had to memorize a couple of verses every week, and I ended up, me and my wife actually together that summer, memorized verses 1 through 17. I'm thankful that the director of that ministry had us memorize those because I didn't understand how key this passage is to the Christian life. Verses 1 through 4 talk about the mental turn or the mental change or the mental outlook of the believer. You are no longer thinking of the things of earth primarily. You set your mind on the things above, the virtues. The If you think about where Christ is seated in the right hand of God, what happens in heaven? Well, Christ's will is carried out. There is no sin. People are living for God. And so the virtues of heaven, the, the way things ought to be, if you want to think of it like that, that's the mind of the believer. Uh, in verses eight through, or excuse me, five through eleven, Paul then talks about all of the old types of actions and uh, vices that we should be getting rid of, putting them to death, fighting them, uh, uh, pushing them away. It's basically putting off old practices or those persistent habits or practices that have remained. Then, when he gets down to verse twelve, all the way to seventeen. He explains the virtuous life of the Christian, the one that we ought to seek to cultivate and to, to submit to in our life. So he says uh, in verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's holy ones, or chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, forgiving each one, one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love. And so he's, he's talking about the new ways we ought to live. Now notice he ends the passage in verses 15, 16, and 7 before he tr- transitions to like family living advice. I don't know if that's the best way to say that, but so verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You're going to see the command to be thankful as a Christian all through your new Testament, but we can, we can be thankful. We have much to be thankful for. And and specifically, I think here you're thankful for that peace of Christ. You are. You're thankful that God, you and God have peace. Uh, In my version, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly, in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, that's actually just the word for grace in Greek, but it's connected to the word for thankfulness. So, Tim, do you have a New King James there? What's your translation? Yeah, I have the New King James, and it says grace. Okay, so if you're listening uh, and you have a New King James, you probably didn't hear what I said, but there is a connection there. So if, if you're looking at it in some translations, you're going to see the word thankful three times in all three of these verses. Uh, but I'll give you a hint. The word for thankfulness and the word for grace are super, super, super close in Greek. We'll just leave it at that. But look, what does it say? That's the second time you've seen the idea of thankfulness come up. Now look in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what was the main, what was the one of the two things that Paul said unbelievers don't do when they know God exists? They do not give him thanks. What is Paul saying here? The Christian, what's something that you do? You give thanks to God. So if you, I would just say, uh, listener, over this Thanksgiving season, as you are reading your Bible, and I hope you are, I hope you're reading your Bible regularly, look up the word thankfulness or thankful and just go through this, the New Testament and see what you find. And I think you'll come away convinced that a virtue of Christianity is to be thankful. If our culture sees anything from Christians, 
it should be that we're thankful people. Now, I think there's some roadblocks to that. Um, I think there's probably some more avenues to go down. But what do you guys think? So let, let me give these other two guys a crack at this. What do you guys think about thankfulness? Yeah, so two thoughts there. First is that, that it's not just a chapter 3 of Colossians. Chapter 1, giving thanks. This is verse 12. Ooh, giving yeah. thanks to the Father. And where this, I think we've talked about this before, but there's four participles there where it's it's means it's telling you how to walk in a way that pleases god he's praying in verse 9 i'm praying that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will that purpose you would walk in a way that is worthy that's fully pleasing to him and then modifying that are these four participles and one of them is it's actually the four in the list giving thanks to the father and it's almost like it tees up a question why who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As you're talking about being thankful, my mind went right back to that. A lot of great reasons to be thankful to the Father. And then kind of another thought maybe we can talk about is with this idea of thankfulness, my mind went to the fruits of the Spirit, and I'd be like, man, wouldn't it be great if thankfulness was on that list? I'm rehearsing it in my mind. I'm like, well, no, it's not there. But then the thought that followed that was, it's pretty stinking close to a lot of those other ones. <laughs> so is, that like, a, is that a technical exegetical term that is, right there? That is pretty Pre- stinking pretty, close. Is that like in Greek for pretty stinking close? That is what close. Dr. <laughs> Doug Brown taught me in, in Greek exegesis class, is that sometimes you just you got to be as stinking close as you can. Um, does he give points for being stinking close? He gives no points. <laughs> he does not. <laughs> he actually takes them away on tests and quizzes. Yeah, so my thought is love, joy, peace. Usually you'd expect to see someone who knows the love of God, who is joyful, who is at peace in their heart with God, uh, in his spirit, through the Son you'd expect them to be demonstrating thankfulness. I don't know. What do you guys think about kind of that idea of that virtue being kind of like a sister to those other ones there in that list? I think that it's, if you think about, so just walk through the virtues, especially, so the first three virtues are primarily how we relate to God or or relating to our relationship with God. So love, joy, and peace. God loves us. Uh, We have joy because of our relationship with him. We have peace with him. Now, it's not only that way, but that's, there's some conceptions of that and some commentaries. But if you think about it, if I have peace with God, how can, I, how can I rightly say I really understand that I have peace with God if I'm an ungrateful Christian? Isn't that, isn't that like you were, we were talking about this earlier, like there's a, what do you want to call it, like a contradiction in that or are they mutually exclusive? What do, you, what to, do we call that? To be that? at the same time aware of what he's done for me and to to be actively ungrateful is like it's a contradiction of terms. Yeah, it's like yeah. you must not really be aware. And it's and it is a, you know I don't it know. is a process. So like yep. there there could be different levels of thankfulness. Like there's like a, a foundational thankfulness, but then that grows as you grow. It's connected to the fruit of the spirit, joy. In Ecclesiastes, we have the idea of contentment, which thankfulness and contentment are hand in hand. If you're not content, then you won't be thankful. You're always striving for more. 
And if you are uh, not content, you're striving for more, you're not going to be happy because you're never content and grateful for what you have. That's the person in Ecclesiastes 2.26. And what does God say to that sinner? He says, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting. See, so unbelievers, there's no real joy there because what are they doing? They're just gathering and collecting and coveting and envying, and uh, they're unthankful and ungrateful. Whereas the believer, the joy and the contentment is coupled right together with the thankfulness. Here's what we need to do to close this podcast. Let's go around the table and let's talk about, maybe give one or two things that you are thankful for. Let's close that. I think it's a good way to close. And I'm going to take the easiest one. I'm thankful for you guys. I'm very thankful for you guys. Hold, hold, hold on while I choke back some tears, Charlie. If, and we have a lot of fun when we record these. I wish the mic was live all of the time because we, we <laughs> laugh don't. and we, yeah, there, we, none of us would have jobs. Okay. But we have a lot of fun and we're here. We record late nights. And so, yeah, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for our times when we get to get together and have these podcasts. Okay. So I got two. I'll start. I'll, I'll go for one. Um, I'm really thankful for my wife and my family. So uh, my wife is amazing, and I my life would not look as bright. There wouldn't be as much light in my life if it weren't for my wife. So I'm super thankful that God has blessed me with my wife and my children. Me too. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> my wife and my children are just the light of my life. Oh, Charlie. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it's going to be the same thing. You know, the... What I do, everything that I uh, work through, it's all because of my wife. And uh, she uh, enables me and allows me to come over here and hang out with you guys for an evening. You know, that cuts into the wife and the family time. And the happiness aspect that you just mentioned, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Uh, Slaving away, going through work, 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 prepare, 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 which is really minister, 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 which we're very grateful to do. But that joy and that contentment and thankfulness uh, it, it's in the home. So, yeah, I would say that it, it, not Tim and I, I think would say the same thing. And you just said it partly, um, you know, walking down the higher ed path, there's a lot as a teacher you do that just takes time that no one sees. Uh, but you know, who sees it is your spouse, uh, cause they're taking up the slack and I'm very thankful for mine. And, and you know, you are too, Tim. And I'll throw another one onto the list here that I know we would all agree on. We're all thankful for the students. That's that was my next thing. And yep. uh, it's it's just a different it's a different atmosphere when we're able to interact with a student, especially this year with everything we've had to go through, yes. going back to like March of 2020 till now. Just super thankful for the students that we've been able to interact good. with and see God work in their lives, and that's a good thing. Yeah, my second one was uh, pretty similar. It was uh, just my job. I'm grateful to be able to study yep. God's Word and uh, to teach God's Word to students. Uh, you know, there's that bookstore thing that I do as well, which can Books take some Books and business. Books and business. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm grateful for that job too. There's uh, definitely several advantages. Uh, and um, uh, anyway, I, I won't get into that. But the main thing is the ability to prepare and to teach and to be God's servant in that way. Uh, I was going to say the, the students too. I, I think that there's just something to be said for, uh, as a teacher, man, I, I learn in the classroom when I already know the material, 
because we have students asking good questions. Uh, let me tell you, there's, there's just nothing better than knowing a student when they're a freshman in their freshman-ness. And I'm not saying that pejoratively. I was that freshman. And then seeing them graduate later, college or seminary, and go off to serve the Lord in ministry. To, and even if it's not that, just seeing the growth in our students, seeing the change that the Word of God makes in their life, and just being able to be a part of that is just a something I'm very, very grateful for. Yeah. So students who are listening, we're thankful for you. Keep listening. We love uh, having you in on these conversations. And we're almost done with season one. There's just a couple more uh, episodes in the hopper here. Uh, try to get you up to uh, Christmas as close as we can. And uh, then we'll be back next year with season two. Woohoo. There's a, maybe this is a fitting thought for the end here, maybe. Uh, so, Charlie, you'd mentioned, I, I was bringing up Colossians 3 with thankfulness, and you said, it's not just there, it's way back in chapter 1. And so I just pulled up a quick, a quick search of my Bible program, and uh, it's not only in the beginning, it's in the end. Colossians 4.2, Paul gives the command, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thankfulness. Mm. And that's, an, that's across all the translations. So let's keep alert in prayer, and let's do that gratefully to God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.